you know, data insights are not things that you just deliver to somebody, right? There are open doors so that people can keep asking questions and explore new paths to insights as a group, as a community, right? And if you share data that's live and can be further explored in new ways, well, that effectively is a data conversation that leaves nobody behind. Welcome to the Masters of Data podcast, the podcast that brings the human to data. And I'm your host, Ben Newton. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Masters of Data podcast. So I'm really excited today to have uh, Julie Lemieux on uh, from Sigma Computing. She's the VP of User Experience Design and Research over there. Welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you on. Thank you, Ben. Nice to be here. So, you know, what like we always do on the podcast, Julie, is I'd love just to learn more about you. Um, I know, know you have, uh, you know, I found that designers in general have always have interesting backgrounds of like how you came to it. So, so tell me a little bit, of what, what's your story? How did you end up in design? How did you end up at Sigma Computing? Kind of what's, what's driving, um, you know, what's, what's got you to where you are? Oh, I love a good origin story. So, <laughs> so I, when I left uh, my undergrad, I thought I was headed for medical school and, you know, lots of things, lots of things happened in those intervening years. And it turns out medical school really wasn't for me. Um, but I had spent a lot of time, you know, you know, as a kid exposed to computers and especially exposed to spreadsheets. My father um, is a mineral economist or was a mineral economist for the government of Canada. Yeah. And um, he had a desktop computer really early on, you know, at the house. And his job was really to work a lot of data to understand and to track mineral reserves in Canada and then um, mineral rights from Canadian companies um, outside of the country. So, you know, different mineral rights in Australia, uh, all over the world. And the vast majority of his work was database driven and then working it all in spreadsheets to basically do the numbers. And then I started doing things like, you know, desktop publishing and, you know, business cards and whatnot, you know, to make a little bit of extra scratch when I was in high school and in university. And in the years when I, you know, in the year that I left, you know, this whole pursuit of, of becoming a physician, the internet was really starting to take off. And, you know, I was moping on my dad's couch. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he suggested that I, you know, I look into this internet business. Go and find a job. <laughs> go find, yeah, that was nice. Dad's peak for go find a job. Yeah. Um, you know, go check out this internet business. Maybe you can make a career out of it. So I started doing some research. And it turns out that I found a great postgrad program in Toronto to do digital design. And, you know, very quickly after graduation, I found myself here in California you know, working my tail off, you know, the last half of the dot-com boom, um, which was, uh, those were my formative years in the business. Um, But design for me was one of those things that sort of made sense because I really like to break down problems. I think very systematically and very architecturally. So when I encounter, you know, when I encounter a need, when I encounter a, a, a desire, it's just intuitive for me to start to break it down and think about how to sequentially build that task up you know, how do I work backwards from the goal in order to get somebody to achieve that thing that they want? Sometimes it's huge. Sometimes it's a little bit like the deconstruction of that problem and then rebuilding it back up in a nice environment that's pleasant to use. Like that to me just, 
I mean, that's what makes my day go really fun, frankly. Yeah, and that makes a lot of a lot of a lot of sense. And how do you, how do you approach design, particularly where you're at now with Sigma Computing? Like, how are you thinking about it? What problems are you trying to solve? So, in 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 short, the problem that we're solving is that data analytics and BI fundamentally have left the vast majority of of people in an organization kind of behind, or um, at right. least un- severely underserved for that. Right. Right. And the idea with Sigma is to conceive of design and build a BI and analytics product that breaks down some of these barriers and allows the folks that have been underserved in their organizations to not only have access to data, but also have the right tools required to answer their data questions and to derive their own insights. And the company in and of itself is built on the premise that people don't need to know SQL or Python or R or complex statistical models in order to explore data. And so everything that we're doing is to remove all of that business from the view of the user. We take care of all the heavy lifting. We talk SQL. We know how to do that. But that the users that are engaging and using the product for their own data-driven insights don't need to do that. So we're kind of in the business of absolution in a way, right? We're absolving organizations of having to hire people that know SQL, R, et cetera, and absolving business users of needing to learn those skills in order to access and to participate in data conversations at their organizations. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so I'm assuming as part of that, you know, particularly you, I, I expect that you're having to take a different approach than what's been normally taken because I would I'd almost say that in the past it's it's really been focused on um flexibility and you know powerful you know super users that know how to like you said know how to write these query languages and now you're you're trying to connect with you know people that are not experts that are um that you, you need to take approaches that's uh really making it easier for them to get it today without learning all these things, kind of a human centric approach. So, I mean, how, how are you, how are you having to do things differently? You think than what was done before? So there's a couple of things that we're doing differently. The first is that, you know, we are very concerned with making sure that all of the features and functions that we deliver are accessible to people who don't have sort of a deep technical background, but that in a way is sort of like the second or third phase of what it is that we're doing. The, the, the fundamental anchor of our design practice at Sigma is that we are actually going out and talking to people about their feelings as it relates to data, data analysis. And we're trying to empathize really, really deeply and connect with our users to understand needs, yeah. feelings, and challenges that people encounter, not just when using software, but like what's preventing them from engaging fully and actualizing their needs and objectives as it relates to data. Many organizations, especially technology organizations, have made it, you know, a corporate mandate that the data should decide, the data has to lead, data has to inform your decisions, data Mm -hmm. insights should drive. Okay, great. But when you make a corporate mandate, that means that you're also telling everybody in the organization, people who don't know how to code, might not have had statistical or analytics backgrounds in school. You're telling them also that their business or their work should be data-driven. They have to engage, yeah. They have to engage. And so 
one of the things that we're deeply concerned with at Sigma is that if an organization chooses us as their BI and analytics vendor, we have to fulfill on giving everybody in that organization equal access to being able to participate in that conversation. And the old world, right, the world that we have emerged out of, right, data happened to people. Yeah. You know, reports were delivered. The, it's true, right? I, I like, I like that. You. I like that. Right. So like reports were delivered, you know, via email every day. You got a PDF. Maybe if you were lucky, you got like a CSV file. But effectively, those things were a cul-de-sac, right? It was yeah. impossible to be curious and explore data from that. So you got an answer. Okay. Well, the answer this morning is 12. Okay. But Why? And if you're looking at a PDF, there's just absolutely no way to answer that question. And so, you know, Sigma's view is that, you know, data insights are not things that you just deliver to somebody, right? There are open doors so that people can keep asking questions Mm. and explore new paths to insights as a group, as a community, right? And if you share data that's live and can be further explored in new ways, well, that effectively is a data conversation that leaves nobody behind. Yeah, no, I, I like that. And in, in, in some fact, you know, continue a bit of your metaphor there is that if you make the door easier to open and the, you know, the distance is smaller for them to travel, then people will do, will do more and open up um, new avenues that might not have even been thought of before because the people that had originally been using the data didn't even have those background. Cause I, 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 um, there was a, um, we, we brought a guest on the podcast that was, um, he started a data science team at a furniture company of manufacturing. Mm. And it was really interesting to hear him talk about it in the sense that, um, you could like really being able to connect with the, the, you know, the decades worth of experience of these people that are in business units designing the furniture, but didn't know how to connect that to the data. You make that connection and suddenly innovation springs up where you've never seen it before. And that, and that seems to be a, a lot of what you're talking about there, right? That's exactly right. I mean, in the end, you know, that, you know, in talking, when I first met Jason and Rob, who are the founders of Sigma, you know, one of the first things that Jason said to me was, you know, we believe that everybody is smart and everybody has the capabilities to find, you know, insights and explore that data, you know, no better, no worse than anybody. So right. if you, if the premise is that everybody's smart and everybody has the capacity to find, derive, and explore data, well, you're going to build a tool that levels the playing field and doesn't necessarily favor a specific kind of person in the organization, right? So when you think about building a tool that fulfills the data needs of an entire organization, you can't build a super complex tool that relies upon, you know, technical knowledge that you would have gotten out of a CS degree. You have to build the tool based on interest, desire, and inherent consumability of data so that everybody can play. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, one, one interesting, um, the thing that I, I'd be, I'd, I'd be interested to see how you, how you think about it because in the past is with a lot of, um, you know, technologies in this space is that because of the way it was developed, you know, typically the, um, the people that were developing and, and, and building these data tools were not the business users. They were the, um, 
they were in the IT organization, sometimes even security organizations, or maybe some sort of like business operations organization. And um, that was, you know, they kind of held the keys to the kingdom. So how how do you, how have you guys seen like what what does that actually look like? Because in some sense, you know, those people don't leave the equation. They're still very important. Um, they're going to be an important part of enabling these other business users. But how do you how do you balance between like the people that are still going to I expect are still an important part of the process versus the end users who are actually closer to the business? How do you balance that whole you know conversation, you know, data conversation back and forth and data ownership? That's actually a really good question. We've been doing a lot of research in-house on that very topic. And what we essentially see is that, you know, in the past, data teams themselves were the ones that were the business's primary interlocutor when it came to asking questions of the data. So, you know, a typical, and, and, you know, in my past with SAP, we saw this a lot, which was that business users you know, would have a question. It either came from a mandate from an executive, a supervisor, a board member, whatever. Um, you know, find an answer to this or show me the data on that. Right. And the business user didn't really have the agency to open up a tool and to go formulate that question and those answers themselves. Mm-hmm. So they had to go talk to somebody on the data team and explain to the to the member of the data team what the business case was for what it is that they needed and why. And while people in data teams are very intelligent and are incredible stewards of data, sometimes they don't necessarily understand the business context of the data, how the mm-hmm. data should be interpreted. And so what you would get was a business user making a request of somebody on the data team, the member of the data team doing their level best to understand the question, understand the data that was required to answer the question, and but, but more difficult how to shape that data and visualize that data to actually answer the business user or the stakeholder's question. And so what you would get would be this sort of this frustrating game of telephone, right? I want this. Okay, I gave you that. Well, that's not quite right. Can we tweak this? Ooh, that data's not right. Ooh, oh, are you using the right calculation for this particular metric? And and the process of actually getting those answers or getting that view of the data was very long and quite frankly, pretty frustrating for most involved. And so the idea here at Sigma is that when you put both of those groups and you look at them and you start asking questions about what it is that their needs are, you wind up seeing things essentially in basically three camps. There are business users who are very interested interested in finding answers to their own questions, right? right? And so they have a need in the moment to understand some kind of metric, some kind of trend, some type of whatever, right? There's a business need, they need to go find it. You have a second group which are members of the data team. And their role is, in a way, it's fairly altruistic in that they receive requests from business users and they essentially adjudicate those requests, right? They get stacked in priority and they crunch reports and chuck them back over the wall. And then there's a third group of people who are even more altruistic. And these are like, you know, data team leaders, um, offices of the CIO, chief data officer, chief technical officer who, whoever is running that particular part of the business, those people, their role is to help elevate the data conversation and facilitate data access and grow, yeah. grow data literacy in their organization. And so when, when, you, when you talk to people and you realize that 
this is a continuum. And that if you can start absolving members of the data team from constantly adjudicating ad hoc requests, they can start thinking about the data landscape in bigger terms, more strategic terms. Mm. They can advance their data, posture, governance, storage, what, what have you, and not have to adjudicate so many reports you know, constantly. And our research is showing that if you support the business user's ability to not only ask the question, but then to safely explore, access, yeah. and shape the data, you sort of deconflict the data team, right? And they can start they can start doing the things that they really want to do rather than creating reports in an ad hoc fashion. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's a really interesting way you uh, you put that, Julie, because that that actually makes a lot of sense because it it's putting these um, the data team in a in a odd position where they're they're having to make value judgments and priority judgments for things that really aren't part of their purview. And by doing that, they can they can right. focus on things that are clearly in their purview and, 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 and actually make a better. So that actually makes a, right. that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, I mean, as, as part of that, so, I mean, partly what you're, what you're talking about here is kind of reducing the friction and, and allowing people to, cause I, I, I know having been in this industry like you for you know, 20 years, um, you know, a lot of times what the problem was is the back and forth would take so long, right? You know, it was just kind of the nature of the beast is that you would, they would ask a question. You th- you think you're getting it right. I was kind of sometimes on that other side where I'm trying to help people get data. And it's like, oh, well, that's not quite right. Okay, well, now we have to go back and do it again. Oh, that we don't have that data. And you you have this, and, and it's so painful to get at the answer that nobody wants to go through that process again. You reduce the friction, then it's a lot more likely that you can get the better answers that so you can get to what you want. But as you start to lower these barriers, who are you seeing? Like, who comes to the data trough first? Like, what what parts of the business are you seeing that are kind of the first in line? Is there any trend around that, or is it is it really just kind of whoever is you know is just kind of by the organization? Are you seeing any trends around that? We are seeing some trends. So there are definitely some organizations and some specific roles that are coming to mind. I'm gonna I'm gonna start I'm gonna start in a you know in the sales and marketing direction. So what we're seeing is that. Sales and marketing organizations, especially sales and marketing operations, are mm-hmm. really, really hungry for this data and this ability to access it and shape it. And, and for them, at least the folks in sales and marketing operations that we've interviewed and talked to, they are ostensibly responsible for generating a ton of data. So right. when you think about somebody in sales operations, they're responsible for their salesforce.com instance and all the j- data that that generates and any other tools that they're using in order to track sales, look at the pipeline, et cetera. Those people who are responsible for the generation and custodianship of this data effectively don't always have the best ability to go in and query that data, understand what's going on, and to build their own view of the world. They're fairly limited to, you know, either the canned reports that come out of the tools that they're using or a great deal of, you know, effort in order to customize those reports. So they're hamstrung in a way to access the data that they're responsible for. So that particular group of people is very, very hungry for the product. In addition, we're seeing a great deal of demand from product management. Again, another group of people who are effectively responsible for a great deal of data. So when you think about product teams, 
They are focused on understanding user behavior. So my team, for example, is very interested in that. Um, They're very interested in understanding feature adoption. Who's touching a new thing or not touching a new thing? Is it succeeding? Is it not? Um, People, product managers who are responsible for retail experiences are interested in understanding cart abandonment or what products are doing better, et cetera, et cetera. Well, if you don't have a tool that's fairly ubiquitous for all of those groups to use, um, they're not going to do as well and have uh, have the insights that their business is looking for them to to generate. So product management, engineering teams, design teams are also asking for the product because it has been notoriously difficult for those groups to get the right kinds of tools in order to do the analysis that they want. Yeah, that, that, yeah, it's really interesting the way, the way you say that because I having been a product manager myself and and and, and now in, in in marketing, yeah, I one thing I saw is that when you know let's let's say you have because the kind of data you're talking about is might be particularly controlled by engineers or maybe by some sort of like IT like organization or something like Frequently, that. Yes, yeah. And typically that silo data is going to be used for a very particular purpose, which are hugely important, like understanding uptime and like very like operational needs, maybe security needs. But then when you start talking about the things that a product manager and potentially like product marketing and people like that care about, you're now having to connect very intricate, very um, almost bespoke in a way data about what your users are doing, which, you know, as a product manager, I was obsessed with because you had to be. But now you're trying to connect that to to systems that seem miles away, like like you said, like Salesforce, because now I want to see, okay, I know product adoption over here, but I need to connect that to this data over here that tells me what are we actually selling? Who's buying? Like, how is that going? Like what, how, um, you know, I'm seeing users over here do X. How does that translate to what's going on in the real world with salespeople, you know, that are actually talking to real people? And that has traditionally been very, very hard. And I can I can definitely see how that you you make those connections and suddenly new insights just, you know, explode that you would never had before. But those those systems are often really, really hard to connect. I can see how that's a good place. Here's a good example. So as part of our research initiatives right now, we're trying to understand how different sizes and different configurations of organizations are using the product differently. Mm -hmm. And that is virtually, when you're looking at product utilization data, it is virtually impossible to understand and segment that behavior in those users based on sort of organizational criteria. And so inherently what I want to do is take Salesforce data. So all of that great intelligence and understanding of the customer that our sales and sales engineers have done, And I want to take that data out of Salesforce and I want to marry that to product utilization data and end user data and some of the qualitative data that we have picked up in our interviews. And I'm going to mash that all together and understand at a higher level what my users are doing. And in the past, Mm -hmm. that's been utterly impossible because the Salesforce data has never been accessible to me, not because I shouldn't have access to it but because the systems weren't integrated in such a way that allowed me to quickly and easily join data from seemingly disparate sources to make Mm -hmm. a new data insight or a new data conversation out of it. Sigma essentially breaks down those barriers. If you are able and have been given permissions to access a certain data source, then the sky is the limit with how you can merge those sources and look at them in context one and the other. Yeah. And, and I would assume like that's, that's part of where the, the 
partnership between what what you call the data teams and more of these um, call them business user, users or specific users comes in because like that use case that you just talked about, one of the reasons why that's complicated is not just access. It's also because there's this the meat and potatoes question about how you connect the data, right? Like well, what what yes. is a like what is a user? Well, yeah, well, user, they're, they're right there. I just talked to them. What, what is that? Is that an ID number? Is that an email? You know, what's an account? Well, exactly I just talked right. to them on a call, but is it an ID? Is it, a, is it, you know, is it a name? Do they spell it the same way? Uh, I mean, when I, when I started out with this, your customers would miss, would, would, these engineers would put in these weird names for their accounts and like lowercase and then it wouldn't match. And I mean, there's a, there's a lot of complexity underneath there. So does that, is that how you actually see it play out is that you, now the data teams are worried about the mechanics and the flow and the connections of the data so that the business users can actually worry about the questions. Is that how you see it kind of come out? I mean, there are deep participants in helping understand the data. Like, let's let's not kick them out of the conversation entirely. Right, right. But, you know, their role with a system like Sigma is to make sure that those who need or want access to specific data sources in order to further their own work have the ability to do that. So, you know, last year we introduced our visual modeling system. And the, the premise of that set of features was to allow data teams to build up pieces of data or, you know, building blocks of data, if you will, that had been prepared, that had been cleansed, that had been tailored and shaped in such a way to help business users understand it and to be able to interpret and use it much better. So when you think about, like, when I go into our our warehouse, for example, I'm seeing schemas and tables and they go on forever. There's literally hundreds of columns, tens, hundreds of thousands of rows of data. And that in and of itself is pretty intimidating. When I have a quick question I want to answer, going and spelunking through the warehouse in and of itself can sometimes be, well, it's, it's a gate. And so the visual modeling system allows data teams to look at those tables, look at those schemas, and, and shape them in such a way that a business user will be able to consume it um, with the business context intact rather than just sort of the rows and columns and then having somebody need to shape that further, right? So the data teams can, can take away some of the burden of initially shaping the data for a business context. And then that allows business users to quickly get in there, look at something that is purpose-built and then build their own explorations and take that into new directions for themselves. So the data team has an important role to play here because as the custodians and the stewards of the data, it is inherently inherently in their remit to make sure that that data is usable and consumable by the people who will be making decisions with it. Yeah, that makes that make that makes a lot of sense. I I, I don't know why for some reason this analogy is coming to my mind that now the uh, the data engineers are gassing up the car and bringing or maybe charging the car if you want to be more eco friendly bringing it around to the business users, but they don't have to chauffeur the business users everywhere. The business users can drive themselves and, and bring the car back. But there has to be a certain level of, there, there does have to be a certain level of prep work and, 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 and setup. You got you to gotta have gas in the car. You got to have it in the right place. But after that, you're not gonna, you don't have to be the intermediary as, the, um, as these business users are asking the questions, which is where the real value come, comes, is being able to quickly and rapidly like ask and reform your questions as you understand the system. Does that, does that ring true to you? 
That absolutely rings true. You know, the the role of that data engineer in the organization, you know, not only is to make sure that the data is flowing, it's being stored correctly, that those pipelines are up and healthy, but to make sure that there aren't any encumbrances in the way of business users using that data. And there's a, there is a massive amount of data that goes unused, right? It's collected, it's stored. You know, it goes through all sorts of gymnastics to get into the system. But like a recent Gartner study suggests that only about 35 people, 35% of people are actually levering insights from the data. And when you think about that, so much data is being collected in all of our systems and it's collecting dust. Companies are not monetizing that data or getting out of it the insights that they need to take their businesses even further. I mean, it's a shocking statistic when you think about how data-centric we've actually become, especially in the technology industry, that so many people are being left behind in understanding the full value of that data and deriving every single morsel of value that they can out of it. I mean, it's a a shocking number. And the whole point of Sigma is to start increasing that 35% very, very fast, right? Get more people in the data conversation because that's the way that business is going to grow. The answers are in there. You just have to give people the keys to get inside. Yeah, no, that, uh, that, may, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's something that I've, I've definitely said before and I've, I've seen said other places is that there, I think sometimes, particularly if you look to the, the foibles of the big data movement and, and how that, you know, it was all about, Oh, I've got all this data and it's so complex and interesting. And like, you know, and they just would shove it somewhere and it's like, oh, well, we've got the data now and didn't know you know, weren't able to, to leverage it. And the and if you look at the companies that have been truly mind-blowingly successful with their data, it's not just because they collect lots of data, but it's 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 how they can leverage that data and connect the dots and be able to do that in a in an agile, rapid way. Because, I mean, a lot of these, you know, you, there's the obvious examples like, you know, Facebook and Google and these, like, large companies that are focused on data. But in general, I've, you know, it's 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 about these, it's also about the smaller companies and, and the, you know, your more Main Street companies that can, if they can find a way to connect that core valuable data that almost every company has and be able to connect those dots and, 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 and inform their business decisions faster. If they can move faster, they're going to be the ones who win. And so that 35% there, I, I, I was guarantee you, if you, if you looked at the, how their success is from a business perspective, it's probably, you know, significantly better than the other, you know, um, 65%. Does that, does that make sense to you? It really does. Yeah. It, it's, um, and, and I think that's kind of, um, you know, we've, we've had a couple of people on the show that have, that have, that have talked about that. I mean, we've talked about it from an artificial intelligence perspective, data perspective, and it really all comes down to is that we're having to move, you know, kind of like bringing this all together. We're having to move from, it's not just about the data. It's not just about the flow of the data. It's not just about getting a, you know, a bunch of data scientists and data engineers and building some monstrosity to like store your data. But it's also <laughs> about how do you actually empower and enable your organization to do it. So it's, it, and, and, and it was interesting as you were talking about it, one thing that comes to mind, and I've, I saw this in the past, particularly where, you know, my background is that a lot of these technology organizations, like, I mean, the teams within these companies have to move from being gatekeepers 
which really implies shutting and opening gates and keeping people out to being enablers and empowerers. And that's sometimes a hard transition, but the companies that manage that both technologically and culturally, because there's, there's a whole like cultural angle here that we barely touched on that the ones who can do that, those are ones that are going to succeed. I completely agree. We're seeing in a number of our customers, we're seeing the emergence of individuals within those companies whose role is entirely that it's to facilitate yeah. it's to facilitate access to data you know we have a number of, of customers where they're heads of data um, once we interviewed them and really understood how it is that they were going to be working you know to grow data literacy at their company their entire remit is not about system construction and data storage that's part of it but their remit is really to take those systems and expose the data that's inside to everybody across the company who wants and needs access mm. to it. It's a, it's a mindset shift. And that kind of comes back to the inherent humanity of all of this, right? Like, yeah. I truly believe that, you know, as, a, as product teams, as software companies, Yes, our job is to build software and we design stuff and we write code and we do research and we build business cases. But like at the, at the heart of it, there are human beings that have to access these systems and to fulfill the goals of their jobs, to grow in their skills, to get promoted, to drive their companies to greatness, to meet KPIs, but like there's a human being underneath all of that that has mm. challenges, fears, lack of knowledge, right? Like a common fear that we hear across our user base is that people are afraid of breaking the data or overriding the data, mm. right? Yeah. So if you can take a group of people and you can understand the humanity of what prevents them from feeling comfortable and open to exploring data in systems, we have the opportunity to continue designing and building a product that will embrace them and teach them the skills that they need to succeed. And that success comes from easy access, easy exploration, and easy sharing of data across the organization. But in the end, these are not technology problems. First, they're human problems. And right. after that, as technologists, then we can sit down and, you know, push pixels, you know, push pixels to our heart's content you know, think about semantics and architecture and and develop tools that are going to help them. But fundamentally, if we don't approach the problem as an inherently human problem, we're going to leave a lot of table, a lot on the table and a lot of people behind. And that is that is, in fact, an antithesis to what we want to do as a company. Well, I think that is a fantastic note to, to wrap this up on, Julie, because I, I, I absolutely agree that 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 literally you could you could set that music um, you could set the story of the technology industry to that music for the last 20, 30, 40 years. It's, it's not about the technology. It's about the people. I, I, I love that. I think that's a great way to wrap this up and um, wish you all the luck. And thank you for coming on the, the, the podcast. It was good having you here. Thank you, Matt. It's been a pleasure. And thanks again, everybody, for listening. As always, you can find us on iTunes, rate and review us so other people can find us. And uh, take care of yourself and stay safe. Masters of Data is brought to you by Sumo Logic. 
SumoLogic is a cloud-native machine data analytics platform delivering real-time continuous intelligence as a service to build, run, and secure modern applications. SumoLogic empowers the people who power modern business. For more information, go to sumologic.com. For more on Masters of Data, go to mastersofdata.com and subscribe. And spread the word by rating us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app.